In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Uh, friends, we've had a wonderful few weeks, um, a kind of special services, if you will. Um, a few weeks ago, um, we commissioned our first vestry. Uh, the week after that, we had our bishop with us, and he uh, ordained Spencer as a deacon. We'll say a little bit more about that later. Uh, and also, um, uh, what's the word for it? Con confirmed. I couldn't think of it. Uh, confirmed several uh, people in our midst. We had a wonderful leaders gathering. Uh, and then last week, we uh, baptized three new babies into the communion of saints. Um, and so we've had, a, we've had a really fun few weeks, um, and we're back to the lectionary here until Advent. Um, I feel like this is almost like pre-Advent, where we're sort of waiting for Advent. Does that make sense? Uh, and so we're, we're going back to the lectionary, and uh, we look forward to Christ the King Sunday, which is coming up on November 24th. And of course, Advent begins December 1st this year. The first Sunday of Advent is December 1st. Uh, and so, friends, as I looked over these passages uh, that we read this morning, and I prayed about what God might want to say to us through them, this seemed to me to be the good news that I was hearing. Brothers and sisters, despite difficulties and discouragements, the future is bright. God's presence is with us, and His promise of resurrection gives us hope. Death won't have the last word. God's mission is going forward. It's bigger than us, and the best is yet to come. We have a glorious future ahead of us in God's kingdom. Everything is going to be okay. So although you walk through trials, tribulations, doubts, discouragements, stand firm in faith and hold fast to the good hope of the resurrection of the dead and allow this hope to encourage your hearts and to strengthen you to keep offering yourself for the life of the world. Amen? Uh, so for, for a long time now, my, my faith has been linked to these images of the renewal of all things, visions of God's kingdom coming. We're not going away to heaven. You know, we're going to leave this place behind and God's going to destroy it and there's something else for us. No, God's going to restore this place, this earth, right? So for a long time, my, my faith has been linked to this, biblical visions of the kingdom of God, visions when everything wrong is going to uh, be made right uh, by God, when, when justice is going to be done, when mercy will rule and reign, when we're allowed to sort of flourish together. There's going to be a new humanity and a new society that God, uh, God, where God's will is done here in this, on this earth just as it is in heaven. Amen? I mean, these are great visions, right? Um, but this contrasts so starkly, I think, what, with what I see in the news and in my own life and in our own communities um, that I, I, I have to confess, especially over these last few years, the last three four years or so, uh, I've found it difficult to keep cynicism at bay sometimes when reading the news and seeing what's going on in our world. I've got this picture of God's justice being done, and then you see another news report of, well, let me give you several. Uh, just this week, these are articles that I read that discouraged me. Uh, I read about how many nonprofit foundations are shams, and they function as slush funds for the uber-wealthy but we have almost no way to investigate this and figure out which ones are shams. Uh, I read about how wage theft by employers accounts for a huge amount of the theft done in this country. But most people who are affected by it are too poor to go through the hoops and pay the litigation fees to do anything about it. So I read about that. That was nice. Yeah. I read about a woman who spent 15 years in jail 
for failing to report that her boyfriend was abusing her kids. The boyfriend spent two years in jail for abusing the kids, but she spent 15 years in jail for not reporting it. I read about how China is committing a cultural genocide right now against Muslims with few parallels since World War II. I read about people who are recording wildlife sounds are now telling us that there are fewer wildlife sounds than there have ever been. Like living things are going extinct before our very eyes. And there's also just the ongoing stuff that it wasn't in the news this week, right? There's corruption at the highest levels of our government. There's growing wealth inequality that's crushing the poor. There's rampant racism and sexism uh, and all kinds of other isms. Our culture's polarization and our inability to listen to each other. The growing climate crisis that we seem unable to do anything about. It's really easy for me, I don't know about you, to see the enormity of these issues and just feel like I'm at the beginning of a zombie apocalypse movie, which is a genre that I have a weakness for. Uh, but I love the beginning. I, I, I feel like sometimes we're at the beginning. Um, you guys ever see the, it's not a zombie movie, but uh, the, the prequels to Planet of the Apes? I can't remember what they're called. But, you know, everything is fine. They're doing these experiments. There's some exciting breakthroughs and, you know, that, this kind of thing. And then there's this, you know, the camera pans to a newspaper that says, the simian flu is, you know, they're not sure if they can contain it. And you realize, like, there's these ominous signs that the end of the world is coming. I sometimes feel like that when I read the news, guys. I sometimes feel like, where is God's justice in the midst of this? You know, or are we at the beginning of a zombie apocalypse? Maybe I should just find somebody who knows how to survive the zombie apocalypse and hunker down until the storm blows over. And of course, there's bad stuff happening all around, but then there's also stuff that hits a little bit closer to home, right? There's little things that can really discourage us when we just think about our own little lives. I feel like maybe I should be further along in my spiritual formation than I am right now. Maybe I sometimes don't feel like I'm doing a very good job as a parent. Maybe I have broken relationships. I'm not sure how to reconcile. Maybe I question my career choices, but I'm not sure it's maybe too late to choose something different. I wonder if I maybe should have accomplished more by now. Or maybe I'm just really tired all the time and I don't know how to find the rest that I need. I think the people of Haggai's day knew very well this experience of this sort of discouragement. Um, They had been miraculously delivered from exile and returned to their homeland. uh, And they had these dreams. The prophets had given them these dreams. This is where we get a lot of this imagery about, you know, the biblical vision of God's kingdom coming on earth. It comes from the prophets who were prophesying to people in exile. And they come back from exile and they're in their homeland. They've got these visions of what this is going to be like. And so the people of Haggai's day had these visions full of prosperity and peace and God's going to be the center of everything that we're doing, but it wasn't really turning out that way, and especially in their attempts to rebuild the temple, uh, which is what we read about today. After a few weeks of work, they're feeling very defeated, very discouraged, because what they were building looked like a pathetic little shed compared with what had come before. There were people who remembered Solomon's temple, and they thought, this is, <laughs> this is puny. This is tiny. Perhaps our best days are behind us. They were losing hope. And of course, the prophet Haggai speaks to this. He addresses it head on, inspired by God. He names the discouraging reality. He said, that's true. The temple's smaller. He doesn't try to convince them it's not true. And he doesn't try to harangue them into working harder to make it better. Instead, he names the reality. This is what prophets do. They name the reality, and then he names a deeper reality that they've become unaware of. 
that will then give them hope. And so the reality is, yes, you're looking at this and it's smaller than it used to be and you're discouraged because you feel like the glory days are behind you. But the deeper reality that he speaks of is this, be strong, all of you, says the Lord, for I am with you. My spirit is among you. Do not fear. This is God's presence. That's the first reality that Haggai speaks to. God is with you in the midst of this discouragement. God is here. And then he speaks of God's promise. And so he says, in a little while, once more, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will fill this house with glory. And the glory of the later house, of the present house, will be greater than the glory that you remember. The best is yet to come, in other words. God's promise is to finish the job, that his mission is going forward. And on the basis of his presence and this promise, then he issues this call to them to participate, to work. He says, work, keep working, because whatever you build, even if it looks like a little shed to you, I will fill it with my presence. It's not about what you build. It's about my presence, and it's with you, and my promise is with you. So that's our good news, friends. Brothers and sisters, despite difficulties and discouragements, the future is bright. God's presence is with us, and his promise of the resurrection gives us hope. Death won't have the last word. God's mission is going forward. It's bigger than us, and the best is yet to come. We have a glorious future in God's kingdom. Everything is going to be okay. So although you walk through these troubles now, stand firm in faith, hold fast to the good hope of the resurrection of the dead, and allow this hope to encourage your hearts today and strengthen you to continue to participate in God's mission, to offer yourself for the life of the world. Something similar is happening here in what we read from 2 Thessalonians. So these readings, I'm kind of bringing them all together, and this seems to be what God is saying through these things. So something similar is happening here. They don't, they're not, uh, it's addressed to a community that is going through difficult times, but their difficult times aren't despair because they fear that the glories of the past will never be repeated. Their difficulties are that they are anxious and nervously looking towards the future because they're not sure that their future is secured. They've heard rumors that Jesus has already come back, and they missed it somehow. They weren't, you know, they didn't set their alarms you know, for the right time, or Jesus forgot, you know, to come by on the bus and pick them up. Like, they're worried that they've missed it because there's these rumors flying around that, oh, yeah, that already happened. And so Paul writes to this community who's enduring these, they're feeling vulnerable and fearful for their future. If we miss the second coming, then, you know, I think we've got to live through what those Left Behind novels say about what's going to happen next. So the Apostle Paul addresses these fears by saying the same things. He says, listen, first of all, you didn't miss it. There's all this stuff that has to happen first. You didn't miss it. It's going to be obvious, and here's why. Because you're loved by God. God loves you. He's not going to skip over you. He's not going to abandon you. You've been chosen by God. You've been called by God to be the first fruits of salvation. Why would he forget about you? He hasn't forgotten about you. God's loving presence is with you, and you've not been abandoned. And then he affirms the promise, again, just like Haggai does of a glorious future. You will share in the glory of Jesus Christ himself. He won't abandon you. You're the first fruits of salvation. Jesus has made himself one of you. He's hitched his wagon to you so that you can hitch your wagon to him. He has become you so you will become him. He's not going to forget about you. He will not abandon you because he's, he can't abandon himself. He's become you. He won't abandon you. 
And then on the basis of this, just like Haggai, Paul gives them a call. Stand firm. Hold fast to the traditions that you were taught, which is a way of saying hold fast to the gospel, the, the proclamation of good news that we spoke to you. That's the traditions. May Christ of eternal encouragement and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you to do what? In every good deed and word. So just keep doing the work. Participate in God's mission. He's with you and the, the future is bright. God's mission is going forward. You're invited to play your part as the first fruits of salvation. You're blessed to be a blessing to others. And so offer yourself for the life of the world, trusting God's presence with you and His promise to make everything new. And finally, the explicit content of this promise is spoken about in the gospel passage that we read from Luke. Uh, this Sadducee is trying to debate with Jesus about the resurrection and marriage. There were Sadducees that says they did not believe in the resurrection. They, um, there's a lot going on in this passage that we can't get into. Uh, but one aspect I want to highlight uh, is the fact that this story has to do with our fear of death. And so Jesus speaking about the resurrection of the dead is our ultimate hope. That's the content of God's promise to us, is that the worst thing you can imagine would be that someone would kill you. And the, the law that the Sadducees are referring to here is a law that guarantees that people will be, uh, after they die, they will be remembered because they will have children, they will have descendants. And so the Sadducees are basically arguing the point with Jesus to say, look, this is why we have this law, because there's no such thing as resurrection. And so this law is meant to deal with people's fear of death. Their fear of death is, I'm going to die and nobody's going to remember that I was even here unless I can have kids. Does that make sense? That's what, the, that's what he's arguing. And Jesus actually doesn't even answer their argument or answer on the basis of their argument. It's interesting. It's an interesting, it's classic Jesus, right? Classic Jesus where he's just like, I reject the premise of your question, but I have something to say. <laughs> and then he says it. Um, and it's, a, it's beautiful what he says. I mean, he basically ignores the thrust of their question because their question assumes that the fundamental reality about life is death and our avoiding of death and avoiding of the implications of death. But Jesus' view of the world, death is a defeated enemy. And thus it barely registers in his thinking. He says there's no marriage in heaven because they can no longer die. They share in the very life of God who can't die. And so ultimately this promise that God gives us, Jesus embodies God's presence with them and then gives us the promise that there is a resurrection from the dead. Our ancient ultimate enemy will not have the last word. God will raise the dead, so the best is yet to come. To God, all are alive, he says. Now in the intermediate state, whatever that is, they're alive somehow to God, but also at the end uh, of the age when Jesus returns and when he brings about the resurrection of the dead, when we'll share in his resurrection life with him. So, we no longer need to live under the tyranny of the fear of death. We don't need to look back in despair that maybe our best days are behind us, nor look forward in fear of the perceived dangers and threats that may come our way. Brothers and sisters, despite difficulties that we endure now and discouragements that we endure now, the future is bright. God's presence is with us, and His promise of resurrection gives us hope. Death won't have the last word. God's mission is going forward. It's bigger than us. We get to participate in it. And so the best is yet to come. We have a glorious future ahead of us in God's kingdom. Everything is going to be okay. 
I hope that doesn't sound trite. I mean it is genuinely good news. Everything is going to be okay. So let's respond to this good news today. In the midst of our doubts and discouragements, how do we stand firm, hold fast to the good hope of the resurrection of the dead? How do we allow this good hope to encourage our hearts? How do we pay attention to God's presence with us and trust His promise to transform the world and offer ourselves in little ways to participate in His mission for the life of the world? A few things occur to me. Um, First of all, this is what we do at this table every Sunday. This is why we're here. We listen to a word of good news. We're reminded of God's presence, and then we literally receive it in bread and wine, in the body and blood of Christ at the table. That's what it's meant to do, is is to connect us with God's presence with us here today, and then also connect us to the future. Listen to the prayers that are prayed. Right at the end, we say, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're talking about the, the sure promise of the resurrection of the dead that we participate in in a small way here today. And so come to the table, not as a rote activity, but come expecting to receive, expecting to become aware that God is with you that you're receiving His presence and His promise to make all things new is solid. So come to the table. That's one way of responding. We'll have an opportunity to do that here in just a few moments. Um, Also, I I just want to say this for me. Like, I, I, uh, in my wrestling with, you know, cynicism as I read the news, you know, uh, I'm finding it more and more necessary for me to just pray every day. I know that sounds simple, but it's really, really important for me to have a time where I'm not just sort of being talked to from the world's perspective, but have a time where I am allowing God to remind me of His presence with me and allowing God to speak to me of the deeper realities that lie underneath the realities that can make me so cynical. So that's important for me. That's one way that I respond to this good news. Um, And then we'll talk a little bit more about this here uh, during the announcements, but two really practical ways in the next few uh, weeks uh, for us to be able to respond, to participate in God's future for the life of the world. Um, We are going through a giving campaign this month uh, in November, and that, you know, may sound like a, I don't know how that sounds to you. Uh, But ultimately what this is, is it's about God's mission, and it's about calling you to participate in God's mission. God's mission through the work that we're doing as a church is going forward. Um, and Mallory's going to share a little bit more about this during the announcements. But um, I would invite you to consider participating in some small way. Say, I'm throwing my hat in with, with, with God's mission in this way. So participate in that way. Uh, and then also we had a meeting this morning, uh, kind of getting some details together for providing housing for some asylum seekers who are in detention centers right now in El Paso. I think they're in El Paso. Yeah, somewhere down there. They've, they've, they're on the border uh, somewhere. And they're seeking asylum uh, because they've got crazy dictators uh, at the head of their governments. And, um, but they're in these detention centers. And we have a way to partner with an Anglican organization that is providing temporary housing. And so we talked this morning. The Donahoes are going to open their home. The Fasolts are going to open their home. But this is something that the Donahoes and the Fasolts cannot do all by themselves. This is something that we as a church have an opportunity to participate in. There's, there's going to be lots of needs. We'll talk more about that. But I invite you to participate in that, not because, oh my gosh, these people are in such dire straits, we need to do something. That's okay. But as a way of actively, concretely participating 
in God's mission, trusting His presence, trusting His promise, that the little things that we do to participate in this mission are part of how God is redeeming and restoring all things. We get to participate. So those are some concrete ways. Uh, And then finally, uh, bring your discouragement to God right now in prayer. We're going to pray together. That's the next thing we're doing. It's the next part of our liturgy. We're going to pray together, and I encourage you to, what is discouraging for you right now? Where are you facing uh, cynicism in your life? Where do you have your doubts as to whether anything is going to be better than it once was? Where do you have your fears about what the future may bring? Bring those to the Lord in prayer. That's a very concrete way that we can respond here together. This is how we stand firm in the midst of these discouragements, our fears, our doubts, our anxieties, our frustrations. This is how we hold on to the gospel. It's how we discern God's presence. It's how we participate in God's mission. And it's how we trust God's promise to transform the world. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. amen.